Acts chapter 9 is where we find the story of Saul's conversion. But you may be surprised to discover that's not the only place this story is found. Luke includes two other versions of the story later in his book. And each one adds important details not found in chapter 9. Today, we'll gather all the details together and try and figure out exactly what happened to Saul that day. Welcome to episode 53. What exactly happened on the way to Damascus? Hey, hey, so we meet again. I'm so glad you've decided to give this podcast at least one more chance. As we march our way to the end of the summer, I'm reminded that some schools across the United States have already started back to school, but not here in the Pacific Northwest. No, we don't start in the fall until the Oregon State Fair is over. So we go to the fair, we get an elephant ear, we get some curly fries, get to see some of those goats and pigs and cows, and then it's time for school to start. (laughs) One of the worst jobs I ever had was making corn dogs, sometimes called pronto pups, at the Oregon State Fair when I was in high school. That job actually made me thankful that school was starting that year. Well, today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, and we will be focusing in on Saul's conversion story in verses 1 through 18. But that's not the only place this story will take us. When we go through the details of this chapter, we'll skip over to Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 16, and look at how Luke decided to give some new details of this story when Paul retold it to the Jews after being seized in the temple. Then, We will jump to Acts 26, verses 12 through 20, and read a different version of the same story again as a part of Paul's defense before Agrippa. And these are all short enough passages that we will get our bearings by reading through most of each of them. And as we do, what we will notice is that Luke chooses to give his readers new information about Paul's conversion with each telling. So we've talked about this before. Repetition is a literary device, and here Luke, the author, employs repetition with this story to keep his readers interested in the story of Paul. And throughout today's episode, I'll be referencing uh, one article in particular written by Timothy Churchill in 2015. The title of the article is Repetition for a Reason, and I'll give a link in the show notes where you can go read it uh, in its entirety. The author, Churchill, is an academic dean and lecturer at the Theological College of Central Africa in Zambia. So I found his article interesting on several points, and I will be talking about it as we march through these three accounts. Now, I'll just start with this statement by Churchill. Paul's unexpected encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road was a pivotal moment in the history of the early church. In the book of Acts, Luke emphasizes the story by repeating it three times. And while this is not the only story that Luke tells three times, Churchill says that for years, scholars have struggled to understand why Luke tells this story as he does. Even today, this remains a crucial and difficult point of interpretation as people research the book of Acts. So just breaking away from Churchill's article for a moment, 
One of the ideas that he presents is that Luke, the author, is strategically putting these three episodes at certain points in the story for a reason. He says it this way, Acts 26, speaking of the last version of the story, occurs just two chapters from the end. Acts 22 occurs six chapters from the end, or three times further in. And working our way backwards, Acts 9 is 19 chapters from the end, or three times further from the end than Acts 22. Churchill suggests that the frequency intensifies with near mathematical precision as we approach the end of the book of Acts. He says it seems that Luke wants his readers to remember the Damascus Road story as they finish reading the book. So just some opening comments out of the Churchill article. We'll get back and uh, revisit that article as we go through the episode. But before we get to the text of the actual Acts chapter 9, (laughs) I feel I need to mention something about Saul of Tarsus and why he is later referred to as Paul. Sometimes in biblical stories, certain characters get new names. Sometimes God is the one who gives them a new name. Like when Abram became Abraham or Sarai became Sarah. In the New Testament, we see Jesus give Simon a new name, Cephas or Peter. And some people think God gave Saul a new name when he became a believer in Jesus. They think that's how he became Paul. But that's not the squiggly do. Paul's Jewish name was Saul. And this makes sense because in the Old Testament, we know the first king of Israel was King Saul. So we know that's a Jewish name. And just an interesting side note on that, like Paul, King Saul in the Old Testament was also from the tribe of Benjamin. But the name Paul was not a result of Saul's conversion, but rather it's a second name for use in communicating with a Greco-Roman audience. It was his Latin name. And it was typical for the Jews of that time to have two names, one Hebrew and the other Latin or Greek. And as we will see in today's episode, as we go through the text, Jesus calls him Saul on the road to Damascus. And later in a vision to Ananias of Damascus, the Lord refers to him as Saul of Tarsus. And when Ananias came to restore his sight, he called him Brother Saul. But it's in Acts 13.9 that Saul is first called Paul. And this is well after his conversion here in Acts chapter 9. And Luke, the author, tells his readers the two names are practically interchangeable. He says Saul, who is also called Paul. So in general, when Paul is with an Aramaic-speaking Jewish audience, he likely used Saul for a name. But since most of his ministry was to those outside of Israel, we see Paul used more often. Luke refers to him as Paul through the remainder of Acts, and this was apparently Paul's preference since he is called Paul in all the other books where he's mentioned, including the ones he wrote. So now that we've got all that name calling out of the way, let's move on and take a look at three different versions of Paul's conversion story. The first time Paul's conversion story is told by Luke is in Acts 9, 1 through 19. So let's just read through it and 
I'm sure I won't be able to stop myself from making several comments along the way. Here, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And just a little comment here. I think it's interesting here that Saul assumes it's the Lord God who is talking to him from the get-go. And then as the story progresses, he finds out exactly who it is. Back to the text, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Well, (laughs) that makes sense, right? I think I would have probably just stood there too. But notice that it says that they heard the voice, but didn't see anyone. That word for voice there in the Greek, could also be translated as just simply a sound. In other words, they heard the sound, but they saw no one. So it's a translation decision to say that they heard a voice here. And most English translations choose to use voice, but one prominent one, the NIV, chooses sound instead. And I'm just pointing this out now because this will come into play in the other versions of this story. So here, back to the text, starting again in verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And just a comment here. So Ananias hears from the Lord in a vision. So what's a vision? It's an audio-visual means of communication between a heavenly being and an earthly recipient. And specifically, visions happen while people are awake. If the recipients are asleep, That communication from God is called a dream. So Ananias is awake, and he has this vision. Uh, Starting again, verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. So breaking away again, Ananias finds out that Paul has seen a vision about him. Ananias is seeing visions. Saul is seeing visions. But it's interesting that the original episode on the road where Jesus calls out to Saul, that's not called a vision. But my question is, is that how we're supposed to understand it? And it kind of seems to me like, yes, we are supposed to understand that original episode as a vision as well. And I'll have more to say on that as we get through the other versions of this story. So let's finish this first rendition and pick it up again in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, 
how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So, breaking away from the text, that's the end of Luke's first version of this event. And before we move on to the next one, I'd just like to point out how Ananias greets Saul. He says, Brother Saul. In other words, Ananias considers Saul a brother in faith when he arrives and lays his hands on him. And the only reason I mention that is because there is a big theological discussion going on out there about when people come to faith compared to when they receive the Holy Spirit. And I think much of those discussions are trying too hard to take the descriptions from the early church, thinking that they should be prescriptive for us today. I think that can be a very dangerous thing to do, especially here in the book of Acts. So many events in Acts are simply descriptions of what happened, with no expectations of a sequel. to go back to the Churchill article for just a moment before we jump into Acts chapter 22. He says this, Luke repeats the story of Paul's encounter with Jesus three times, yet the story is not told in exactly the same way each time. And in his article, he examines some of the variations and suggests that we can learn what Luke is trying to communicate through his use of repetition. And specifically in his article, Churchill focuses on three what he considers key areas. Paul's pre-encounter persecutions of the early church. Second, the heavenly light and how that's described. And third, Jesus's message to Paul. And we're not going to unpack his whole article, but I will take just a moment to read what he says about the light and the differences in the descriptions of the light. So let's just start by reading the version out of Acts 22. It starts in verse 6, goes through verse 16, and here Paul is retelling the story to a group of Jews that have just seized him at the temple. And so he's telling them about what has happened in his past. Luke records it this way, starting in verse 6. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So just with those first two verses, we have a description of the light that's a little bit different. I'm going to break away into Churchill's article and see what he says here. He says, Luke's description of the heavenly light develops through the three accounts. The light's brightness grows from just a light in chapter 9, verse 3, to here it's described in 22.6 as a great light, to lastly, a light brighter than the sun at midday in chapter 26, verse 13. 
And he says that the light's scope increases from flashed around Paul in chapter 9 to shown about Paul in 22 to shining around Paul and his companions in chapter 26. And he points out that the human response to the light also increases. As Paul seemingly falls alone in the first two accounts, but his companions fall with him in the third account. In other words, Churchill says, Luke increases the brightness and scope of the light and the response to the light with each retelling. And just breaking away from Churchill before we go back to the text, I think the way that he's presenting this is important because it brings another aspect of studying to the table. We would love to be able to study the book of Acts and just maybe in this case focus on Paul and Jesus as the only two characters. But what Churchill is doing is suggesting, rightly so, that we should be spending just as much time focusing on how Luke wrote down the story, giving us new information as it goes along, and he was doing that for specific purposes. It wasn't just by chance. It wasn't that he forgot some of the details the first time he told the story, and so he decided to include them, and then, oh, later he remembered even more to include. So let me just toss this out there. Luke could have included all the details in the first rendition of the story. He had all the details available to him when he wrote Acts chapter 9, but he chose to leave some of them out and to further develop them as Paul retells the story in different contexts. It's a fascinating study to look at Luke as an author and look at the book of Acts as a great piece of literature. So back to Acts 22, we'll pick it up in verse 8 here. And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And then Paul says this, And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed to you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And that's the end of how Paul retold that account in Acts chapter 22. I just want to emphasize uh, some details that came out that weren't in the first one. Some of the things that Ananias said to him. Verse 14, specifically, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. That's the vision on the road to Damascus, to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. So God had specifically appointed Paul to see Jesus and to hear an utterance from his mouth. And that's important because the companions traveling with Paul in this episode here, the second one, to be sure they didn't understand what they were hearing. 
but Paul did. And the description that Ananias gives makes it sound like that God has given Paul the special ability to see and hear and understand this voice, this encounter with Jesus. The third episode is in Acts 26, verses 12 through 20, and it's Paul giving his defense to Agrippa. And let's just start by reading verse 12. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, talking to Agrippa there, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. That's that increasing amount of light that we read about out of Churchill's article shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, not just Paul, but it's we now falling to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Breaking away from the text just for a minute here, you might have noticed that a new bit of information came out that Paul heard the voice saying to him in the Hebrew dialect, and that's likely the Aramaic language. We talked about that in a previous episode, but for some reason, that detail didn't come out before. In two previous tellings of this, the fact that Paul heard it in his Hebrew dialect, in his native tongue— is just a really interesting detail to wait here till the end to give us. Back to the text, verse 16. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. And I think what Paul is doing here is calling his original seeing of Jesus and hearing of Jesus's voice a vision on the road to Damascus. I think that's what he's calling it here. Verse 20, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. And that is the end of the third rendition of this story. We've heard it three times in three different places, all retelling largely the same story, but getting new details as we've gone along. In the conclusion of his article, Churchill says this, Luke's use of repetition in the three accounts of the Damascus Road encounter should remind us of how carefully the book of Acts has been constructed. Luke was intentional in presenting the story of Paul's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road in such a way that the reader is drawn to the message. And Churchill concludes with this thought, Luke's use of repetition should also inspire us to study the book of Acts in detail. So as we close today, 
think it would be interesting just to go back and look at some of the things that come to light when one compares the three different accounts that Saul gives for what happened there on the road to Damascus. From chapter 9, we know that a light from heaven flashed around Saul, that Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice speaking to him. He understands the voice and he interacts with it. And the men with Saul, it just says they stood speechless. The men heard the voice, but didn't see anyone. Saul recognized the voice as being a message from the Lord, and Ananias' first words to Saul were, Brother Saul. Then, if we skip to Acts 22, we find out that it was about noontime that the bright light flashed from heaven around Saul. That Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice speaking to him. He understands the voice. He interacts with it. Same. But it's here that we find out that the men with Saul saw the light. They did not understand, or rather hear with comprehension, the voice of the one who was speaking. Ananias informed Saul that God had appointed Saul to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear an utterance from his mouth. And then in Acts 26, instead of about noontime, uh, it stated at midday. So that's a similar description. Saul saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. That's that increasing idea again, shining all around him and those with him. We also find out that Saul and those with him fell to the ground and that Saul heard a voice speaking to him in the Hebrew dialect. So putting it all together, Saul saw a light and heard a voice from heaven talking to him in the Hebrew dialect, a language that Saul used frequently. And those with Saul saw the same light and heard a sound, and we can assume they would have understood the Hebrew dialect. But his companions didn't see Jesus. They weren't blinded by the light and didn't understand the sound that they had heard. Well, that's a dual response to someone speaking. One person hearing and understanding in his native dialect, the others at the same place, hearing but not understanding. That description sounds a lot like the description of the day of Pentecost, except there it was the disciples speaking in tongues, and the dual responses were out in the crowd. Some of them heard the speakers in their native dialects. Others in the crowd didn't understand what was being said and thought they were drunk. So this is a direction that not many people go with Acts chapter 9 and Saul's conversion. But I'm just asking the question, could it be that this dual response on the road to Damascus is another story of God using the Alpha language and giving Saul the gift of interpretation? For the commentators out there that string all the accounts together, the most common explanation is that Jesus was speaking a Hebrew dialect Saul heard him like any normal person would hear a conversation, and that God somehow prevented the other men, Saul's traveling companions, from seeing him and understanding his voice. I just don't think that makes the most sense. God often appears in visions that are only seen and understood by those to whom he wants to communicate. And based solely on the text, it makes the most sense that God gave Saul the supernatural ability to see him. And the supernatural ability to hear Jesus' voice and understand it in Saul's native tongue. There's already a well-defined spiritual gift in Scripture for that very purpose, to supernaturally allow communication to flourish like it did in the garden. And could it be 
that Jesus was just using a spiritual gift that was already at his disposal, that had already been presented in Scripture, this very book. And could it be that Luke, the author, is telling us this is another instance of someone being given the spiritual gift of interpretation in order to understand clearly how it is that God is moving and to welcome him, Saul, into the family of faith? Well, all that said, however this all happened, Saul was convinced immediately that Jesus was his Lord. He never questioned that calling, and it changed the world. Well, that's all the speculating I've got for today. And if you take away nothing else, I'd just like to repeat the conclusion that Churchill came to at the end of his article. You'll remember he said this, The three accounts of the Damascus Road encounter should remind us of how carefully the book of Acts has been constructed. And I'll just point out, we only get to see all the details if we are studying the whole book. That's the way Luke wrote it, and that's the way he expected his readers to study it. And you are one of his readers. Remember, the article concluded, Luke's use of repetition should also inspire us to study the book of Acts in detail. And I couldn't agree more with that conclusion. And you're right, that type of study, it does take more time out of your schedule. And I know you're busy, and I know you've got a lot of things going on. So thanks again for listening. And before we go, would you consider rating, reviewing, or maybe even recommending to one of your friends the Rethinking Scripture podcast? Mm-hmm.